Today we'll talk about a children's book about cockroaches, Middle Ages alternative to elastic, and a Bible story about why God thinks your backyard makes a lousy bank. All on the way to answering our question, are we allowed to fail? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Did you know that Joanna Cole died last week? If not, you're forgiven, because I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know or recognize her name when I saw it. But when I read her obit, I was reminded just how important she'd been for me and a whole lot of people in our approach and understanding of the world. She was born in 1944, graduated from City College in New York with a degree in education, so I guess it was natural for her first job out of school to be that of a school librarian. But she didn't work there very long. Eventually, she moved on to Newsweek, where she worked as the person who's responded to letters to the editor that weren't published. Now, I didn't know that those people used to get letters in response, so that was an interesting thing I learned in her obit. Eventually, she left Newsweek to become a freelance author, and her very first book was a children's book entitled Cockroaches, written because, well, because there wasn't another children's book that had been written on the subject. Now, that's a major surprise, isn't it? So she decided the world needed one. She wrote a couple of other books intended for parents to read to and with their kids. One of them was entitled Where You Came From and another entitled Your New Potty. But it was in 1986 that she began a new series of books that became so very well known. Joanna Cole, who was by that time an author of children's books for Scholastic, wrote the very first book that year in the series entitled The Magic School Bus. Now, if you don't know what The Magic School Bus is, it's about a teacher who takes her class on science field trips, and their school bus can do anything, literally. It can travel through time, become a submarine, it can become a blood cell in someone's veins, it can travel through outer space. Now, I was too old to have those books be a part of my childhood, but our first child was born in 1989, and we had lots of the magic school bus books around the house, and I read many of them to our children. I grew up in an era where the teacher would give us a mimeographed worksheet, and our assignment was to sit quietly, look through the chapters of a book, write down the answers to the -the fill-in-the-blank questions on the sheet. The magic school bus was so far from most of my elementary educational experience that even though I was an adult as I was reading them, I found its fresh approach to education to be wonderful. She encouraged kids to ask questions, to seek answers, and to be actively involved in their own education and learning. Now, in another one of my never-ending, seemingly tangential, but I hope to be related asides, it was 1994 that I discovered what smocking is. As a historical note, long before there was elastic in clothing, 
there was a need for clothing to stretch. The technique to achieve this is called smocking, and it's been in use since the Middle Ages. The fabric was gathered in places and then embroidered, which made it both form-fitting and flexible. It was very common for laborers to wear garments that had been smocked. Hence, the name smocking comes from the fact that it was done to the common garment of the working class in the Middle Ages, the smock. But today, since the creation of elastic, smocking is most often decoratively used in the clothing of little children. And it's no longer associated with working class people, but upper middle class people who dress their children in decorative clothes that have been smocked. Now, some people certainly still do it themselves, but the vast majority of smocked children's clothing is done by hand by someone else, then sold to people for their children to wear. It's cute, a little on the fancy side, often the clothing of choice for pictures and fairly difficult to clean. Now, I was serving a church in Florida, and we were putting on Vacation Bible School, which was just a week-long day camp for kids. After the very first day, the kids were leaving with a wonderful, communally felt energy in the air from all the fun that we'd experienced together. We'd sung songs, we played games, we'd shared snack, we'd made our own Play-Doh. And it was the Play-Doh activity that caused me to learn about smocking which I'd never heard of before. A number of people complained that their children's beautifully smocked clothing had been ruined or stained by the Play-Doh that we'd made as an activity. I tell this because as we were talking about how to handle this minor crisis, I kept coming back to the teacher's words from the magic school bus. Joanna Cole had created a teacher named Ms. Frizzle. She had wild, curly red hair, and she was always encouraging the kids to learn with an often repeated mantra. She would tell the kids to take chances, get messy, make mistakes. Ultimately, our VBS decided that we wanted to create an environment in which our children were encouraged to learn, grow, and develop by taking chances, getting messy, and making mistakes. This is a moment in which we had to remind the parents of the children that Vacation Bible School is filled with interactive activities for children to discover, learn, and have fun, and the kids should dress accordingly. I'm a firm believer that this encouragement from the books of Joanna Cole to take chances, get messy, and make mistakes is vital in the development of children. But as I ponder this important phrase, I wonder... If it's also true for adults, particularly as we ponder our relationship with God, does God want us to take chances? Does God want us to get messy? Does God want us to make mistakes? That seems to me that this encouragement acknowledges one key fact, and that is failure is baked into the equation. It's not that you are a failure if you follow this equation. It is that the road to learning, the road to growth, the road to development will take on some failure if you follow this process. Does God allow us the room to try, risk, make mistakes, and fail along the road towards growth and spiritual discovery? That's the question. So let's start with something said by Jesus. There is a story relayed to us through the Gospel of Matthew, and the story is about a wealthy man 
who's going away for a while. So he calls together three of his workers and gives them a portion of his wealth to look after. The amount of money in this story is referred to in units called talents, which has little meaning for us today. But it's fair to say it was a huge amount of wealth. It was actually a measure of weight. But for our purpose here, imagine that each talent was worth $500,000 in today's money. So to one servant, he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. The one who received five invested the wealth and doubled it by the time the wealthy man returns. The one who received two also invested it and doubles his as well. But the one who received one talent buries it in the backyard and returns the full amount of money, but with no growth when his boss gets back. In this story, the first two are rewarded, praised, and even given more money to be responsible for. And the last is severely verbally chastised for his behavior. So, this doesn't sound like we are being told to take chances or make mistakes. This doesn't sound like failure is an option. This story makes it sound like we are going to be judged harshly if we do not perform. Now, I've always taught this story by talking about the missing worker. I like to imagine there's another worker, a fourth man, who invested the money, worked hard, and lost part of the investment, and God praised him for his effort. If this had been added to the story, then it would be clear that the final servant in the original story was not being judged for his performance, but his effort. Also remember that the rebuke the final worker receives was not for being unsuccessful, but the word used in the passage is lazy. We are told he was wicked because of his laziness. But still, it's fair to say, Dan, this is an interesting interpretation, but to get to where you are, you've had to add a whole character to the story. To reach your interpretation, you're having to make some leaps that aren't specifically there in the context. Got anything else? Got anything that literally shows failure is okay? Well, thank you for asking, as it just so happens I do. This one is from the Gospel of Luke, and it's the story of the healing of lepers. Now, a little background. Leprosy was a broad category in the days of Jesus. It included what we would diagnose as leprosy today, but it also included other skin diseases such as psoriasis. Leprosy was a horrible thing, not just because of what the disease did to you physically, but because of the social and personal ramifications. When you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were banished from society. You could no longer live near people or as a part of the community or with your family. You were required to wear torn clothing and a covering over your face so people could recognize you from a distance and stay away from you. And when you saw people, healthy people, approaching you, you were required to yell, unclean, unclean, so that people knew to avoid you. If by some miracle you were healed, you didn't just get to go home. You had to go show yourself to the priest who would determine if you were allowed to reenter society. So Jesus is walking along and is approached by ten lepers. They were forced to live outside of society, so the only company they could enjoy was each other's. So it's not 
surprising that there was a group of ten of them together. We're told that they approached but kept their distance, as we know the law required. They beg Jesus from a distance to have mercy on them. Interestingly, there's not really a conversation between Jesus and the lepers. He simply tells them to go show themselves to the priest, which is what would be required if they were healed. On the way to the priest, all ten are healed. And one of them, understanding what has happened, suddenly realized that going to the priest is no longer the most important thing. Giving thanks is now of paramount importance. So he turns around and returns to Jesus to thank him. When he gets there, he thanks Jesus, and Jesus asks him, Weren't there ten of you to begin with? Where are the other nine? Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you will realize that Jesus has a remarkable ability to read people, to know people. He knows everything about them before they tell him. When Jesus meets the woman at the well, the story in Scripture makes it clear that he knows her entire life story without being told. So it's reasonable to read this Scripture story and believe that Jesus knew how all ten lepers would respond before he even healed them. So here's the fascinating thing in the story. Jesus healed ten lepers and only one returned. Jesus had a 90% failure rate in this moment. And by all previous experiences and stories, it is reasonable to believe that Jesus knew he would only be successful with one in ten, even before he healed them, and yet he healed them anyway. So, are we allowed as followers of Christ to take chances? get messy, make mistakes? Are we allowed to fail in our efforts to be faithful? I think the answer is absolutely. If Jesus can have a 90% failure rate, then I think we can too, as long as we're giving it a good shot. Matter of fact, I think this lesson goes further than that. I will regularly have people tell me that they don't ever give money away to people on the street who are asking them for assistance because they can't be sure that the person they give it to will respond appropriately and not squander the gift. In other words, they are saying, I will only be generous if I have 100% certainty of success. That is so very reasonable. And it's cautious. It's so judicious a policy And at the same time, it doesn't sound very much like Jesus, does it? I think the story, and this story we've learned, and the stories of Jesus teach us something very different. In my efforts, in your efforts, in our efforts to be generous with the blessings that God has given us, here's an interesting question to help discern if we are doing the right thing. How often are we getting taken or failing? And if we aren't getting taken and failing with fair regularity, I think the story of Jesus reminds us that we probably need to step it up and take more risks and try living into the model that Jesus showed us. It is an interesting idea, but perhaps we will not be judged by how often we succeeded, but how often we were willing to risk and fail. I think we are sometimes going through life thinking 
that people of God are cool, aloof, somber, cautious people who live their lives trying to do right and placing too much effort on never doing wrong. I think creation is a playground, and we are God's children. We are expected to be kind to one another, but otherwise, get out there and play. Even when we know we will sometimes fail and get a little messy. I truly believe Jesus is there watching us, encouraging us, even begging us in our daily lives to take chances, get messy, and make mistakes. Because that is what faithfulness looks like. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Please feel free to get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you through email, and I invite you to follow me on Twitter. Just remember that both are SkyPilot with three T's. That's S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. My email address is skypilot at gmail.com, and my Twitter handle is at skypilot. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. Thank you.